Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I have a very fun guest uh, on the show. I, it's somebody that I've met really recently as I was going through my due diligence of joining EXP Realty, and Randall Miles is a board member of EXP. We had some wonderful conversations, and I got to tell you, Randall, it was really one of the deciding factors for me to join EXP. And you, oh gosh, you have one of the most illustrious financial careers that I have ever seen, uh, spanning over four decades, which is really interesting since you're only 41, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Randall, really welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Michael, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump right in. Tell me how you went from finance and such an incredible career in finance to real estate and what your involvement had been with EXP. Talk, talk me through that trajectory. I know it's a big question to start, but let's do a macro answer and get us there to, uh, to get some sort of scale and understanding. I, well, you know, it's actually a fairly uh, straightforward and simple answer. I, I, I've always in some fashion been involved in real estate and always in some fashion involved in in finance, and the two have intersected um, uh, a great deal over the course of, of, of my career. So I never left finance to join real estate and, 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 and vice versa. Uh, going back to my earliest days, uh, coming out of, of college, I spent several years at uh, at GE Capital in a uh, high-profile management development program that ultimately landed me in the real estate financial services division, uh, where I spent a few years, and then on moving to uh, Wall Street, where I ran investment banking at uh, uh, some large bulge bracket firms and, and middle market firms that uh, folks would recognize, um, included the myriad of uh, industry, but my particular focus was in areas of uh, <clears throat> Uh, financial services, financial technology, uh, real estate finance, uh, and uh, and technology. So all the while, uh, it's 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 been fairly embedded in in what I've done. I've advised uh, uh, the U.S. government and several other governments in uh, uh, in in capital markets activities as they relate to uh, to real estate, mortgage-backed securities, uh, commercial and residential consumer uh, securities, uh, auto loans, and and the uh, and the, and the like. So. Um, like I said, it's it's kind of intersected and overlapped uh, for the better part of almost forty years, as you pointed out. And I think uh, your other question was, <clears throat> so you know, how did I kind of get connected with EXP? And that's also, it's a pretty interesting story. And in that my first contact with uh, Glenn Sanford, who was the founder and, and chairman and CEO of EXP, uh, dates back over ten years when. Uh, EXP was but a twinkle in his eye, and he was trying to figure out uh, how to uh, put his vision into effect, and I was one of the people that he sought out for some advice, uh, not having previously met. Um, And over the years, we kept in touch and had a regular uh, dialogue, and uh, about four years ago, I was elected to the uh, board of directors of EXP and uh, serve as as vice chairman uh, today, and sit on a couple of other boards as well, but... uh, uh, it's been pretty exciting with uh, EXP. You know, I, I have to tell you, you are a, a a very humble man. You know, you're talking about the career as though it were just something that, oh, I went from finance to real estate. But, 
you know, for those of you that will spend some time and, and Google Randall, you will see the impressive resume that he does have. And he is in, an incredibly humble man. But, you know, I, I you mentioned the, the board positions. And, you know, Randall, I came from two very large corporate companies. Um, you know, I was at Deutsche Bank for 10 years and then I was at Realogy for 15 years and um, many board members on both of those. And I have to tell you, um, I knew some of them, but I know that it was on a peripheral and I was there for a very long time. And you are someone who's very hands-on. You are a board member who actually, you know who all the top agents are. You interact with them, you encourage them. And you, you don't need to do that. And so I remember when, um, when I actually got my, um, my offer from EXP, I literally hung up with them. And three seconds later, you texted me. And, you know, and, and actually it was really quite funny. You said, don't F it up. <laughs> yeah, I, was, so I love this man. You were so endearing and, you know, and, and, and you care. Um, you know, just, just tell me how is, I, I, I never was uh, involved with a board member that was really so interactive and it's such a beautifully refreshing change. Tell me why that is, because you're, you're a busy man, uh, but you are involved. You know, I, I am, and that's part of, of what's fun for me in terms of leveraging the mm-hmm. breadth and depth of my background to help make a difference for EXP or for the other boards I've, I serve on or have served on in the past, which include a collection of uh, public companies, uh, lots of private equity-backed companies, and, um, and nonprofits. Uh, I'm, on, I'm hands-on because I, I like to be, I want to be, I want to be part of something where I can make a difference, part of uh, high-growth companies or part of companies that are trying to solve a problem, uh, that are marching in a direction to fulfill a vision. Uh, but with respect to EXP in particular, it's also as much about the the, cult, uh, the culture and the philosophical boy stumbled on that one right the culture and the philosophical backdrop of the uh, of the company uh, in which we are all very engaged. Uh, so it's not just me as an engaged board member; it's part of what we're looking for uh, as we recruited the board, as we task ourselves with. Uh, um, helping the company in every way that uh, that we can and, and and you're right it's important for us to uh, to be out there to uh, to hear from our agents and understand how the decisions we make are affecting those in the field who are out there trying to make a living um, representing buyers and 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 sellers uh, exp as you know has been a, a very high growth story over the last several years we expect growth to continue um, unabated. And that presents, you know, its own set of, of challenges and requires a very engaged board and a very engaged management team with respect to ensuring that we've got the appropriate infrastructure to handle the kind of growth that uh, uh, that we've experienced and expect to continue to experience, that we can uh, migrate into peripheral markets, whether that's um, uh, international or affiliated services or a variety of things like that. So for me, part of the litmus test is as I evaluate opportunities presented to me, is can I make a difference? Uh, are we all, you know, singing from the same sheet of music um, and headed the uh, headed the right direction? And is it going to be fun? Are there good people to uh, to work with? 
And, you know, and that was one of our early conversations that we had when I was going through this process. And we talked about the idea that, you know, EXP had uh, very successfully been under the radar screen, if you will, and had their growth almost in a, in a stealth manner. And how it then went from the Russell 2000 to, to, to the NASDAQ listed company in 2018, and then be able to have the tremendous amount of growth, uh, I think it was an 80% agent growth last year, to really see that and have it be the fastest growing real estate company in America. Um, you know, now it's the idea that the, the, the target's on its back. It's, it, it's now the one to beat as opposed to, uh, you know, it, it was the little locomotive that could that now is, is, a, uh, is, a speeding, uh, is a speeding train that no one can catch. And so I think that that becomes even more of a challenge at this point because then culture and the philosophy, as you're mentioning, is the basis that one needs to hold on to in order for that growth to be effective and for that growth to be consistent and, and, and be impactful. Um, so I think that that's a really strong base to work from. Yeah, you know, and it presents, it presents its own set of challenges. That is, you know, maintaining that, that culture and philosophy as you grow and get bigger because it invites necessarily uh, a little more bureaucracy, uh, regulatory scrutiny. We are you know, audited by uh, Deloitte, for example. Uh, we're listed on the, uh, on the NASDAQ. So there's all that componentry that goes into it that presents its own special challenges as you get bigger and move away from kind of a family feeling that, uh, uh, that was characteristic of EXP and many small businesses. So you know, from a cultural standpoint, it's very, very important to us that we safeguard that to the, you know, highest degree possible. And part of the way we do that, and, and I think this is, is unique, again, we're a public company, we've got a seven-member board of directors, um, and we have reserved uh, two of those seats um, for agents. Uh, so, you know, part of the criteria for two of those board seats is that they be a, a, an agent a uh, real estate agent, practicing real estate agent uh, with EXP. We just welcomed, uh, uh, on a rotational basis, our newest uh, board member, Fee Gentry, just, uh, just a couple of weeks ago to ensure that we hear in the boardroom uh, what's going on in the field. Uh, so we've got, we've got active engagement with our employees. We've got active engagement with, with our real estate professionals throughout the country and throughout the world in an effort to remain agile, to remain responsive to the needs of the organization, to be forward-looking in the context of, of maintaining growth. And I will tell you, one of the other things that's very unique about our organization is that we encourage and we have programs in place to facilitate uh, ownership of EXP stock by the uh, agents who are, are members of our extended family. Um, the practical effect of that uh, is, it, beyond providing a, a financial incentive, is that many of our agents view themselves as owners of, of the company, um, which is something that every company, whether public or, or private, tries to instill in their, uh, uh, in their workforce. They want people to act and behave as if they're owners of the company. It safeguards your pocketbook, it, you know, you, you, you're, you're forward-looking, you've got good ideas, um, and the, and the, the very positive consequence of that is that our agents act like owners. Um, they're not shy. Uh, 
about uh, telling us what they think, you know, whether it's good, it's bad, it's ugly. Um, we find that, you know, in the past when we've had a few growing pains back in the early days when growth really accelerated, we found a group of people who had, you know, great um, uh, suggestions, uh, who were patient, who understood that, you know, growth was, was a challenge. So we've managed to now, you know, build this great organization uh, very organically, as you mentioned, you know, kind of below the radar screen, because frankly, we wanted to let our, our, our results um, stand for themselves. We didn't want to engage in a bunch of hyperbole and thumping our chest. We're the, we're the, we're the, we're the greatest out there. Uh, we wanted people to feel it, to experience it, and to see the result of that and determine for, from, for themselves uh, just how great an opportunity this, this is. And, you know, knock on wood, I think we've done a, a good job of that, but it's in, in no small measure uh, owing to the, the, you know, now 30,000 agents that are part of EXP and their willingness to, uh, to engage with the board and the, uh, the management team. And I think you're right. I think it is that feeling more than any other real estate company that I've really seen out there that feel as though they are indeed owners. In just the last month that I've been here, I certainly have seen that. And you're right. No one is shy to reach out and, uh, and tell you what they, what they feel and what they think. And I like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in New York, so I like all that. Um, and it's really the idea of knowing, you know, having a conversation, sitting down, how do we work this through and how do we grow from this? It's a great culture that was created, and um, it's something that I am very much looking forward to helping on that growth on a global scale as well. But I have a question. Tell me what you think about the future of real estate post-COVID. Obviously, we're living through this global pandemic. Um, there's certain parts of the world that are almost out of this. I spoke to some uh, some friends of mine, you know, I sit on the um, uh, the board of ARIA, the Asian Real Estate Association of America, and I had a board meeting last week, and I had somebody uh, sits on my board who has one of the largest um, real estate companies in China, and he was telling us a story of the update of post-COVID in Asia, and it's pretty much back to normal. It looked at the, as though it was a V recurve um, economy there. And there was a lot of pent up demand. They're about at 120% capacity now, which was amazing in cities such as Beijing and other tier one cities. And even in Wuhan, they are actually at about 100%. So just curious what your thoughts are, because you have a very macro view as well of what, how real estate will change post COVID once the whole world opens up again. Uh, the $64,000 question. Right? <laughs> Put me right on the spot. Why not? Yeah, why not? I, you know, it, was, it certainly would have been natural for anyone at the outset of the pandemic and the lockdown uh, to have anticipated the near-term demise of the real estate market, as well as anyone of a variety of, of other industries. Uh, and to the point you just made about China, um, we are experiencing a significant resurgence in what was a dip in activity uh, to the point where we're seeing it at, uh, at pre-COVID levels. Certainly some pent-up demand uh, augmented by people, uh, for the moment anyway, exiting 
major urban centers to get away from population densities. So you're seeing uh, prices go up in suburban areas as, as people look to, uh, to move out. <clears throat> so I think in, in the near term, uh, residential real estate uh, looks quite strong um, and will carry forward. Uh, commercial real estate, on the other hand, um, may not fare so well as uh, CEOs have looked around and have found that their employees have been more productive uh, working remotely than they might have given them credit for previously. That's good news, right? Uh, and as these same CEOs look around and you know think it's costing me ten thousand dollars a head to have this uh, have this uh, occupy this real estate, maybe I don't need you know that kind of an expense. So. The, 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 the telling legacy will be here less about how residential real estate holds up than the effect of commercial real estate and its downstream effect on residential real estate. To the extent that people are enabled to work remotely and don't have to be in major urban centers, it will drive suburban growth, uh, more home sales, higher prices, pressures on inventory and the like. While at the same time, commercial real estate may come under pressure uh, as people may be required to come to work two times a week as opposed to five times, or, or perhaps not at all. Uh, so, you know, we'll see a fairly significant transformation. Um, you know, there is a consumer psychological impact to what we have experienced with, with COVID uh, that has some depression-era-like characteristics associated with it in the context of people having seen their settings depleted, people having seen... Uh, their 401ks up, turned upside down. Uh, that is going to shape a little bit how people how people spend money. The the other piece of this is the degree to which mainstream business comes back online. You know the large corporations with large cash you know coffers you know manage to survive it. They'll do well going forward. Uh, significant. Um, uh, stimulus packages for things like, you know, the airline industry and those sorts of things, you know, prevent it from, from falling apart. But if you look at uh, <clears throat> service businesses, for example, let's take the restaurant industry, um, you know, in an industry where on a good day, you know, many restaurants may have three weeks of cash on hand, uh, have now been shut down for an extended period of time. Some have reinvented themselves uh, and now come start coming back to, uh, to work you know, as lockdown uh, is phased out uh, and are limited to 25 or 50 percent capacity in an industry where you really need 80 percent plus just to stay open. Sure. So the question will be then how much is our permanent unemployment rate higher than it has been more recently historically and the degree to which many of those businesses don't come back, which can have its own pressure from a real estate standpoint. So the short answer to your question, though, is we're seeing you know, we, like everybody else, expected a fairly significant dip. Uh, we have found that dip was very short-lived uh, and have seen a resurgence across the country. And the other thing I think that affects that, keep in mind that lockdown didn't exist everywhere. Different states had different uh, uh, impact as it relates to the, the, the pandemic. Therefore, some were closed, some were open. So it's kind of been this rolling effect through the company, through the country where the entire country wasn't shut down Parts of it were. And as parts of it come back, other parts of it may shut down. So uh, from that standpoint, it's mitigated some of the issues that one might have in the early days expected to affect real estate. It's true. I mean, it was that in, in a global scale, if we really look at it on a macro level, the sort of the idea that 
you know, Asia was coming out of it now. And, um, you know, you and I both live in New York City. And when New York was on lockdown, where 50% of all the COVID cases in the United States are based here in New York, it was, um, it was interesting. I had, I remember early on when um, you couldn't get anything in Asia, and I was sending masks to uh, colleagues in Asia because they just, they didn't have anything. When we were on lockdown early on in New York, I had a care package from Hong Kong of masks. It was really funny to sort of see the uh, full circle of the pandemic across the globe. But I think you bring up some interesting points. It is the idea that we've seen residential um, have very strong um, uh, indicators for what will be the remainder of the year. And you bring up some very interesting points on commercial. You also have the psychological um, um, part of this with social distancing. Do you really want to sit in a cubicle next to somebody else right now as you've been locked down for three months plus in some cases? And then the other part of it is really the retail, what you bring up so uh, so rightly about uh, industries such as restaurants, what's going to happen there if they are only have 25% capacity because of social distancing rules, how do they survive? So it, it's interesting to see that from a macro perspective because it will, it will have to be what happens to these bricks and mortar, um, which is actually a great segue to my next question, as we talk about technology, right? And technology being a great constant in, in not only our industry, but in many other industries, everyone has gotten very uh, friendly with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and everything else. But Verbella is actually a technology that EXP started with and, and eventually purchased. Um, so I have a two-part question. What's your vision of the future of technology in general? and how it relates into uh, not only our industry, but industries in general after, after COVID, uh, and Verbella in particular. Sure. Um, you know, technology and its enabling attributes, efficiency, cost savings, et cetera, are significant drivers for companies wishing to remain competitive. It's been that way for some time. Uh, it will continue to be the case, and it's perhaps um, even greater now in a much more competitive, globalized world uh, that uh, companies find enabling technologies that allow them to do business better, to work remotely where appropriate, to secure uh, supply chain certainty, uh, to employ the management technologies that, that create efficiencies that allow companies to operate on a global or a multi-state or a multi-county, you know, kind of a basis. So, so often the outgrowth of, of stresses such as we've experienced uh, with the recession that's now started in, in, in February of this year relating to, uh, to COVID, but often what comes of that is real innovation uh, that pioneers then directionally where things happen from here on out. I, and I think this will be no exception. Technology will be a major driver. Look, for example, and this segues into responding to the second part of your question. Look, for example, how well uh, 
someone like Zoom has done, uh, which is, um, you know, kind of a conference calling concept on, on, on steroids. And I don't mean that to take anything away from, uh, from Zoom. Uh, they've been around for a while. Uh, they exist here at the right time and in the right place to provide a tool that allows companies to collaborate in a remote way. Uh, and it's worked very well, and Zoom has benefited from that. Now look what's, what's happened. Uh, Google has an offering. Facebook has an offering. Uh, Microsoft Teams is spending a lot of money uh, creating more flexibility in their particular offering, and there are more to follow. So notwithstanding the fact that Zoom has done extraordinarily well, the book is yet to be written on who is really going to define the space going forward. And in that context, and you bring up Verbella, um, there's another avenue here that from a remote working standpoint is significantly more powerful. Uh, EXP, as many of your listeners may know, uh, operates without physical infrastructure. We have no office buildings. Um, you know, 700 and some odd employees and no one, including the CEO, has a physical office space. We operate using a technology called Verbella, uh, which was originally developed for educational applications for universities like Stanford and others for remote learning purposes. That was adopted for a commercial application and EXP was one of the first commercial clients of Verbella. Um, uh, and about two years ago now, we acquired Verbella as much about securing um, our technological future as we were a vendor, uh, as also understanding that as it reshaped the way that EXP worked, that the application in the real estate industry was a good deal broader than even EXP, but frankly, that it had an opportunity to alter the way work gets done irrespective of industry. So at EXP, we have a cloud-based campus where you interact with your fellow employees, you interact with, uh, with agents, you interact with management, you solve your tech problems, you have payroll issues, you go see somebody for, you see all of this in the cloud, employing avatars in cloud-based physical space that from a psychological standpoint, it is, isn't the same as eyeball to eyeball. Uh, but isn't far off and enables you to do that from a variety of different, uh, different places. Using ESP as an example then, Glenn Sanford, as I mentioned, uh, who's the uh, CEO of the company and the founder, does not have an office. Yet he is probably more available to the employees and the customers, agents of the company than virtually any CEO in the country. You can stop by his cloud office, uh, knock on the door and, uh, and step in. Now, if he was in an ivory tower someplace and you had someone, uh, you know, 3,000 miles removed, they weren't going, they aren't going to have that kind of an opportunity apart from making an appointment, taking a trip or setting up a conference call or whatever the case. And you can literally just drop by. So I think he's more available as is the rest of the management team to the entirety of the company than um, in most uh, uh, conventional aspects. So I think it's a real driver. Uh, I think that kind of technology, which is uh, widely used in the university systems in this country um, and gaining scale as we speak as a result of the COVID challenges, uh, you can imagine that the inbound inquiry we've seen from interested customers, uh, small, medium, and extraordinarily large to employ the technology has been nothing short of, uh, of incredible. So 
So COVID is certainly going to change the way business gets done in even unforeseen ways as yet. So I think this is just the tip of the ice, iceberg and the tools that allow people to be effective remotely uh, are certainly going to and are getting a, um, a pretty strong look for Bella among them. You know, and I agree with you because Rabella is now, you know, branching out into other sectors as well, the entertainment sector, the financial sector. Um, so I think that that's fascinating with what's happening there. You know, you brought up a good point. I never even really thought about it, but you're right. Um, everyone becomes much more accessible in this cloud-based world um, because, you know, you would also, in order to get to a CEO, would have to get through their gatekeeper. And all of that is is not here. None of that exists here. Um, so that's really very interesting. Um, so yeah, and, that, and to extend that further, just yeah. add another point, it, it extends to things like training. Absolutely. Uh, where tra training in many real estate organizations is uh, localized. <clears throat> or you're flying trainers around to different parts of the country uh, to meet with people. In an EXP context, so much of that exists in the cloud. Uh, that you can train people from Florida, North Carolina, Idaho, Washington, California, all in the same session, make it available on demand. So in the middle of the night when you know, you're getting through your insomnia, you could participate in some of this stuff. Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's an entirely different level of access that provides leverage that wouldn't exist in a more physical environment. Very true. Very true. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I found out some fun facts about you, Randall Miles. <laughs> I found out that you are also an actor and you are in the series Billions. That's amazing. You know, you're, you're you know, that was a really fun fact. Tell me how that started. <laughs> well, <laughs> quite, uh, quite by accident, actually, yeah. as I never had any aspirations of, of, of being an actor, um, though having spent you know, lots of time in front of a camera, lots of time in front of large groups. I suppose if we are effective business people, effective salespeople, we're all to some degree um, acting a little bit. Sure. Uh, but I was, you know, it's kind of a two-faced thing. I was literally stopped on the street a few years ago uh, by uh, a talent scout seeking someone for a, a print advertisement, uh, and they wanted some new faces. So uh, I, you know, was pretty skeptical of the whole thing. But long story short, it it worked out, and I was featured in a in a, in a advertisement that appeared in magazines and the, and the like. And I had made a, a joke following that as we were sitting down as a family and talking about you know the fact that you know I'd been traveling all over the world for so long and everything like that. Maybe dialing some of that back a little bit. And I had jokingly jokingly said, "Well, maybe I'll become an actor or a politician." And uh, one of my kids seized on it and made me a $100 bet that I could not act. Um, and it was my, was my mission then to prove to him that you don't bet against the house, son. And uh, made a few calls, called in a couple of favors, got a line on a show, uh, thinking it would be the only time I would ever do it. And uh, the next thing I knew, the phone rang here and there, and I was appeared in a few movies and a few shows, and, and then uh, connected with... Uh, uh, the showrunners at Billions, which appears on on, on Showtime now, uh, airing season five. To put in a plug here, um, there you go. Uh, because of my background on 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 Wall Street and the kinds of things that were reflected in the uh, in the show, so uh, I have been everything from uh, 
from a technical consultant to an on-screen actor to um, uh, to assisting with a variety of other things. And it's really been a, a remarkably fun experience working with highly talented people, um, with a show with, with showrunners, with, with, with vision who've attracted very talented writers and a, and a great cast and people who, who love working together uh, and making this, uh, this great series. So like a, a very happy accident. I love that. That was such a fun fact that I found out. That was great. So you, you've obviously proven how well-rounded you are. And I also know that you and your wife are very philanthropic. Can you tell me a little bit about that part of your life? Yeah, you know, fortunately, we've, we've, we've done well and, and been around a long time and have been involved in a variety of, of, of nonprofits, <clears throat> either volunteers or, or serving on boards. Uh, and we've always wanted our kids to experience that, experience that, and know how important it is to uh, uh, to give back, whether it's time or money or you know whatever degree of involvement made made sense. And and each of our kids has has done that. Uh, I served uh, on the Make a Wish Foundation board for a number of years as uh, uh, chairman of the board, an extraordinary organization that assists children and families with potentially life threatening illnesses. Um, and I found that always amazed me the most is the degree to which the organization impacts not just the lives of the children and families affected, uh, but, but whole communities and whole companies. And it's just extraordinary uh, to watch the way, you know, people, people want to help and people want to be part of something and people want to, to do good. It's just extraordinary. Uh, my wife has been involved with organizations focused on Alzheimer's and, and autism. Uh, we recently lost uh, her mother, who had been serving, um, uh, suffering from from Alzheimer's. Um, and so, my wife is particularly fond of an organization called uh, HFC, formerly known as uh, Hilarity for Charity, which are run by friends uh, Lauren Miller Rogan and her husband uh, Seth Rogan. Um, so, I, you know, those are some of the things that we're we're involved in. We don't talk about it. Uh, much I think it's just if you have an opportunity, it's important to um, to think of those in need, to think of those who may not um, uh, have access to the kinds of things that you might be able to help provide. And uh, it's just you know we're not on this earth for a very long time, Absolutely. and um, and it's 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 just important to, to to help when you can. Yeah. And I'm sorry for your loss. I also lost my mother with Alzheimer's, and so it was. Uh, it's something that, you know, is 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 close to me as well. So I thank you for the efforts that you've done in that part of the research and that part of the world. Um, it's uh, it's important. It's important to give back for sure. Um, shifting again, um, what's the greatest piece of advice you would offer someone coming into the industry today? It's a completely different industry as we've talked about thus far. What's the well, you just don't have any softball questions, do you? <laughs> I asked you about billions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, you get a pass. Um, just to take you off off guard. <laughs> you know, there, there. I suppose, you know, there are are so many things, but I think one of the most important things anyone can master in any industry, at any position, at any level, is, is learning to listen. You know, we all know people who lead with opinion and not, and not facts. 
uh, in the context of problem solving or you know a particular uh, issue in the company or whatever else it might be. It's really important to listen. It's important to listen to your colleagues. It's important to listen to your customers. Uh, it's important to, uh, to listen to your buyers, to your sellers, to whomever else it might be, and, and, and learn, right, in the context of, of what motivates people, what motivates organization, what motivates, you know, countries, what motivates, you know, any one of a variety of things. But that listening component is really, really important. And it's, I'd further say that it's important to understand um, you know, those perspectives that are diametrically opposed from your own, right? We can't really be good at anything that we do, in my view, unless we understand the breadth of perspective and the, the consequence of our actions and the consequence of, of our words. Um, and the other thing I would say is that I think it's important to have a vision for, for where you want to go and to be important, open to the experiences that occur around you. Um, you know, luck, quote unquote, has a way of showing up when you least expect it. Um, and frankly, many people don't recognize it for the opportunity it is when it does show up because of the immediacy of their circumstance or they don't have, have that vision for where they want to go. And I can point to a couple of incidences over the course of my career, particularly early on, um, that had significant impact on where I am today. And it was in part a function of having some understanding of where I'd like to end up uh, and being mindful of what was going on around me and having a little bit of courage to, uh, to, to step in and, uh, and, and own it and, and take it someplace. Uh, but again, Michael, I think those apply to every industry, every level, um, Agreed. Interpersonally, corporately, whatever. That's probably the couple of biggest, biggest single things that I would advise anybody to be mindful of. You know, and, and that was going to take me to my next question. Another softball for you. Uh, but you probably already started answering that. I was going to ask you the three greatest lessons that you've learned in your career. And maybe one of them is what you've already um, alluded to is um, understanding opportunity when it arrives for you. Um, but these are your answers, not mine. So you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that, that is part of it. And it's one of the things I counsel uh, young people on uh, specifically uh, who are trying to find their way in, in, in a career. Uh, and don't look at someone else and, and, and think, well, God, you know, they get all the luck. Um, you know, there are a couple of times over the course of most of our lives where you're presented with an opportunity. And sometimes you can't do it, right, because of circumstance. You've got a family to support or you, you can't drop what you're doing and go do something else. So the real world kind of kind of intervenes. But if you have some perspective for where you want to be, uh, you have the courage in the moment and the circumstances that allow, there are opportunities to take you places. Uh, you know, a couple of other things is, 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 is own it, right? Um, uh, find solutions rather than complain about problems. Um, you know, the most valuable employees are those that come to you and say, hey, you know, we've, we've, we've got this problem. Um, this is how I'm thinking about it. Here are two or three solutions. Um, maybe can you help me brainstorm about the best way to deal with it rather than coming and say, look, we've got a problem. What do you want me to do? Um, and to the extent that you can demonstrate that you've got the ability to do that, that you can drive change, that you can drive solutions, you make yourself extraordinarily valuable to whomever you are working for. 
Uh, and sometimes you just need to, 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 to own it and recognize that circumstances are what they are. You have to make the best of it. And I'll give you uh, an anecdote. Um, uh, early in, uh, in my investment banking career, we had a, a huge presentation to do. And uh, I was uh, on the way to pick up my, my boss. A couple of other people were, were going to meet us there. Um, uh, we were flying up to Boston. And uh, <clears throat> he was, you know, really, really ill, quite literally throwing up in the driveway and couldn't make the trip, handed me the stuff and said, you got to do this. Uh, and, and I'm a lowly uh, investment banking vice president. Um, and uh, he's my managing director. And I've now got to make a presentation to 100 bank CEOs of some of the largest banks in the, in the country uh, on uh, collateralized mortgage obligations and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, it's not like I couldn't say it, I can't or I don't want to do it. So, you know, I get on a plane and I'm, you know, fretting a little bit about it and said, look, the chances are you're going to get fired here. So just own it and make the best of it. Uh, I did most of the work putting the presentation material together. And it dawned on me that I knew more about what I was going to be talking about than anybody else in the room did. So just stand up there with all the confidence in the world and own it. Um, spoke for about 45 minutes, took another 20 minutes of questions, had a line of guys talking to me for another 30 minutes after the presentation. Uh, we did, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars worth of business after that as a result of it. And it was a pretty quick path for me then to... Uh, uh, to make managing director, but it was a function of not shying away from the uh, the challenge, uh, but stepping in and own it. Then the last thing I would leave, and it segues back into uh, uh, both the 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 charitable aspect, but but I think beyond that, and that's and that is to pay it forward. I think for anybody who's had a good mentor uh, over the course of their career, they understand just how valuable it is to have people who will. Uh, who are available to them for, for advice. Um, uh, and I mentor at a couple of universities and a couple of other things. So I, I, I get calls from undergraduates and graduate students and others across the country uh, every month. Uh, and I've always believed that it was important to take those calls. Those are calls being made by kids who are nervous about doing it to start with. 90% uh, of the people they're calling are blowing them off and aren't taking the call. And it is so special and so valuable to them to have someone, the few who will take that call, spend 15 minutes with them, spend half an hour with them to give them some perspective on the questions they have about the career they want to develop. You change lives at that point, you know, and it is, uh, it's a very humbling thing. You know, I try to, um, to mentor as much as possible, but that was really the key reason I started this podcast. It was the idea of having conversations with leaders in our industry and community that um, is is able to to just share and allow those lessons to be reaching a larger audience. And that was really the impetus of doing this. And um, I also know that you're about to start your own podcast as well with very similar reasons of getting out there and, 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 read, and having your message reach more than just a singular person, but a larger audience. Um, so tell me a little bit about that podcast that you're about to launch. Well, early stages. Uh, I have uh, several interviews in the, in the can, uh, but this particular one is focused on small to mid-sized businesses. 
who are seeking opportunities to, to, to grow, to operate more effectively, and perhaps achieve a potentially higher valuation if and when they ever choose to, uh, uh, to sell. Um, it is intended to be an interview-based podcast where through the voices and experiences of, of CEOs, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, industry insiders, and experts, we can bring insight and perspective for those small to mid-sized businesses who are interested uh, from in hearing from people who've been there and done it that they might not otherwise have access to. I think that's great. You know, it's, it's, it's delivering a message of, of, of growth and helping other, other people, which is really the, the basis of it. Um, so your final softball question, Randall, what would you like your legacy to be? <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, one, I don't want to be writing my epitaph at, uh, at, at this stage. Thank not, you very not much. in that regard. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'd, I'd like people to think that my contributions, whatever they were, um, in the corporate world, in the real world, and any other, have, have it somehow made a difference, that I was decisive when it was necessary to, to be so, that I was collaborative, empathetic, and I suppose most importantly, uh, and I've used this um, uh, phraseology for a very long time now because I genuinely believe it. Uh, and I think from a leadership standpoint, it's a tone setter. And that is, you want to be known as trying to do the right thing, the right way for the right reason. Mm. And I think to the extent that, that you do so, uh, you're leading the right kind of life uh, more holistically. Uh, and as a leader, you are, um, you know, it's a tough one to answer. You've got a vision that you're trying to impart to others and you have a responsibility uh, as a leader. And if we're trying to get people to do the right thing the right way for the right reason, I think tonally it is, um, it is the right path. I think people respond well to it. Uh, and I think you get the best of them. Randall Miles, you know, in, in this short time that, that we've known each other, probably about nine or 10 months or so, um, I've really just observed who you are as, 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 as an individual, as a human being. You are someone who really cares about others. You're a true gentleman. You are a leader in our industry and, and a great mentor. And I've enjoyed every single conversation you and I have had, especially this one. And I am so thankful of your time and being a guest here today. Thank you very much. Michael, thank you. I appreciate you asking me on. It uh, it has been a pleasure, uh, as it always is when uh, when you and I speak. Um, I, I I hope your your listeners enjoy it. Thank you, Randall, and thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. I invite you to visit our website at www.glrem.com. Thank you all very much. Mm-hmm.